observe. And welcome to episode seven of the Observe and Report Show. I'm Kyle Brennan, joined as always by my beautiful co-host Keith Sullivan. Keith, how are we doing today? Very well, very well. Very excited to go see Tim Dillon at the Paramount after this. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. Tim Dillon, you've seen him before. I have. He's one of those comedians that's better now on his podcast, in my opinion, than he is with his stand-up, just because he's such a ranter. Yeah, we were talking about you that. Know? Now there's guys because of podcasts. Now there's actually comedians that you realize are maybe less stand-ups and better just like funny podcasters. You know? Yeah. It's Which more, is not a bad thing. Like, no, it's not. And, and I still think it's an art form, you know? Like yeah. I believe podcasting is not, you know, it's it's not just, uh, you know, not everyone can do it, you know? There's not, still, it's actually more impressive because they're being funny, completely mm. devoidant of the audience feedback. Totally. In real time. So they're actually just speaking into the void mm -hmm. and making people laugh without even knowing what they're laughing at. Right. And also it, it, it opened my eyes anyway to like, I've heard before from people like you should be a comedian or something or like you could be. A, and it's not the same thing. Like I, I may be funny just in conversation or, but writing jokes, you see there's a huge difference between just being a funny guy and being a comedian. There's a whole different you know, aspect to it. Writing jokes, navigating your way through a joke, timing, the topic. The, to me, the thing on podcasts is like how sharp these guys are mm -hmm. with like, they don't miss a beat. Mark and Norman like, has that. Yeah. You know, very one-liners, quick, quick, Just quick, quick. So quick. Qu and yeah. like, I, I, I feel like if I was put in that position with other comedians, like I would feel pressure and then it wouldn't be as funny. Right? Yeah. Because I would feel like I need to think of something as funny, but those guys just have the ability to just one-up each other mm -hmm. with like just funnier lines and like they come up with creative yeah. words and like phrases and yeah find the joke in something that you wouldn't have found it in. wait till you see tim tonight yeah Man, like uh, have you ever seen him with your own eyes uh no i don't think so he is a huge person like not even just that he's fat but he's tall and like, I wonder what shirt size he is. Like, you'll see tonight, like, he's, he wears these big shirts, and the shirt, it's, it looks like a, like, like a tent around him. It's such a big, <laughs> and his belly is so, it comes out so far. You'll see. It's, it's pretty crazy. He's a big guy, too. It's, it's funny, too, because, like, he's not a really a, besides people who are very into comedy, mm. he's not a well-known comedian. No. Because I told a bunch of people this week that I was going to see Tim Dillon, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, like they never heard of him. And he's I'm not like, a Bill Burr at all. He's very much like uh, he's a crude, like oh, rough yeah. around the edges, like not everyone's cup of tea type of humor. No, um, even like my friends who we all have a similar sense of humor, they like don't really like him. Yeah, um, but I just to me he's like he one he's very smart. He's a genius. He's actually really smart. He's and well read. Two, he well just read. he hits the nail on the head of things like long island because he's from long island yeah he just hits the nail on the head of like the state of the country like the types of people you see mm -hmm. and just he just disparages things in such a he he's just great. dismantles things he was incredible. going on with Giannis Papas, who i also love by the way about he goes you know people think that like it's new york city and then there's long island he goes really it's long island and like new york city is just a satellite you know long island is the thing and Giannis is like dude when i was he goes 
because Giannis grew up in Manhattan, and he's like, when I was a kid, no one even thought about Long Island. Like, it was like Canada to us. You know, it was like this place that we'll never go to. And, and Tim's like, well, yeah, you know, it's good. Two places you'll never afford to live in, you know. <laughs> and, and he just goes on. And he's and the, and then Giannis, again, with the one-liners, Giannis is like, well, you know, there's still some shitholes in Long Island. He's like, yeah, but they serve a purpose. You know, someone's got to cook the meth. Someone's got to <laughs> deal the drugs. It's like, it, he's just so... Yeah. And, and you and I being Long Islanders... It's not just that we relate to him, but he's so, like you said, right about certain things like that. Like he, he's so culturally aware, and he's well, he's so articulate when he talks about it. And he has a one of the best rants I'd recommend to anyone if you haven't seen or heard of Tim Dillon. I, f- I think it was on Joe Rogan's podcast, or it might have been on his own. But it's just him going, "America is." And like, oh no, it's his just, own. Yeah, it's his own. Just, he just yeah. goes. What America means to me. That's yeah. the name of the ring. And it's like yeah. I think the 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 uh, like the Star Spangled Banner is playing in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. him. Just it's maybe like a three minute rant of him just keeping going. Like America is, you know, a fentanyl overdose in a Walmart. Because <laughs> America, America <laughs> is, <laughs> and he just like keeps going. And like, America is a sandwich made of a sandwich. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like he just goes on and on about that stuff. Yeah, yeah he's one of those people that is so American, so Long Island that he hates it and loves it at the same time. And you can, yeah. you just really relate to it. I love him. I think he was from originally Freeport. I, I think, think he was some, somewhere on the South, South Shore, Shore like Long towns. Beach sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. One of those places, but he brings up like, he's like, you got to go, like he was telling a story about how he used to sell mortgages and whatever. And he's like, He's like, you gotta like if we're gonna set the setting, you gotta do the Imperial Diner on Merrick Road in yeah. Freeport. Like, and I'm like, I've been there, yeah. I've been to that place, and it is a shithole. You know, it's one of those places he goes where you know people will spill coffee on you and go, you know, <laughs> it, like it's just not. I love him, but I'm excited to see him. It, you know, something that I've thought about before is like how many successful people have come from Long Island, dude. The it's roster is huge, and I, I always wonder how much of it is. Like you said, New York City being the satellite there, you just ha- you you technically have more access to, like, to be a, a star and whatever 100%. you do, right? It's kind of like Bill Gates growing up, like next to the, uh, you know, the the college's computer lab, right? It's just yeah, like happenstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just if he wasn't born in the middle of Iowa, he wouldn't have been Bill Gates, right? Yeah, I th- always feel like Long Islanders who end up making it big, especially in the entertainment business and stuff. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, when you're a thirty minute train ride away from the city and comedy clubs and mm-hmm. you know music shows and stuff like that yeah it's easier probably to one be like oh i can i can do that yeah and like see other idols but also two to have the access to mm-hmm. try it and like if it doesn't work at that place you have 40 other places to try in, in manhattan exactly so many things have happened on long island even not even just like entertainment wise but the M- the the mri was invented on long island uh, the, magnetic the, uh, DNA, the double helix. Exactly. The magnetic resonance image or like all that technology. I, I think Brett Weinstein, no, no, Eric Weinstein was just going on about Stony Brook University right. and how it's like, in his opinion, the greatest math department in the country. Apparently there's people who work in the Stony Brook math department that are like out, like Einstein level genius mathematicians. And no one even knows that because it's like, you know, math who gives a shit. But there's a whole wall apparently in Stony Brook that is like super uh, detailed and etched in with like mathematic equations and like E equals MC squared, those kind of famous equations and all these other things. And he said, the thing that's weird about that is that it, it must have cost like millions of dollars to make. And it's just there in this university. And he's like, it's, 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 it's kind of like our, um, 
like plaques of the Ten Commandments as mathematicians, and it's just this wall in this college, and no one cares because it's Stony Brook, Long Island. Right. But it realistically, it's a huge deal for people who care about math and and all that stuff, and like things like that. Like you just don't know, you know. What else? Like, you know, Billy Joel, Dream Theater, a huge metal, progressive metal, like hugely influential metal band. Yeah, I mean, it's, we could go down the list, right? It could never like end. Chris Rock, right. uh, Howard Stern, Amy Flav Schumer. Flav of Flav. Mariah Carey, LL Cool J. <laughs> like, yeah, right, like you right. can just literally, any industry, Jerry Seinfeld, Alec Jerry Baldwin, like uh-huh, uh-huh. all these guys. And it's, yeah. yeah I mean, Dude, I, John Williams, bro, the, the, yeah. the, the score writer, was born where I was born, Floral Park. He was born... He went to Sawanaka High School. That guy, bum 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 bum. Like he wrote that. He wrote Superman, Star Indiana Wars, Jones, Indiana Jones. I yeah. think he wrote Jaws. Jaws. Yep. He came up with that. It's pretty incredible. He still does that shit. He's the goat. He's like the Tiger Woods of score. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 Dude, he wrote yeah. bum. I mean, come on. That's like that guy. That guy is so good. Yeah. Anyway, geez, Long Island. What are you reading, by the way? Uh, so I just read a book that I've probably had the most amount of people recommend to me. So I have. There's probably a short list of books that. You can imagine a lot of people are constantly reaching out to me. They're like, have you read this? You got to read this if you haven't checked it out. Uh, The one that kept coming up was uh, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. So Cormac McCarthy, famous American novelist, uh, known for his kind of like dark, short stories, I'd say. Um, So he wrote No Country for Old Men. Uh, He wrote Blood Meridian, which is like about Native American and um, like the white settlers coming in. And The Road is considered his best novel. So I read Blood Moon a couple of years ago because I'd heard of Cormac McCarthy and I saw it in a store. And I was like, all right, everyone talks about this writer. I got to check him out. Um, read Blood Moon. It was a good book. Just n- wasn't like my style. So if you've never heard of Cormac McCarthy, he has a very unique style. He writes kind of like stream of consciousness and he doesn't do quotation marks. So like in the middle of a sentence, dialogue will start. Interesting. And you won't realize like who is speaking or that it's a conversation. He he makes it a little easier to you understand. So it'll just be, you know, and they went to the store. Dad, are we here? Yes, son, we're here. But it'll all be in like one paragraph. Uh-huh. It won't say There's not the 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 the, the tab to the Yeah, there's no there's no section. space, there's no quotation right. mark. And also I believe none of the characters, at least in the road, none of them have names. So it's kind of just you're implying who's speaking based on the context. Mm-hmm. So it's a very unique style and it takes a bit of getting used to. But I got to be honest, I read The Road and I posted it on my Instagram. I said, you know, I'm going on vacation. Which book should I read? And The, the Road won the poll. Um, so I jokingly said, I was like, if this sucks, it's on you to the people who voted. And I, I got to say, it wasn't wasn't for me. Um, and I, it's not even that... I think Cormac McCarthy is a great writer. I think it's a good story and a good idea. I just, I didn't find any parts of it that I really enjoyed. And I know I'll probably get criticism because people will be like, oh, you know, it's a great story of like father and son and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, survival. And literally I didn't get that. So like it's either I'm not getting the book and maybe it's just not my thing. What I think it is is more so 
it's like not liking a genre of music. So to me, it's like, I get that you like that, whether it's like country or heavy metal or rap. Mm-hmm. For me, Cormac McCarthy's genre is just like not my, I read two books by him. I'm not yeah. saying I'm not ever going to read another one or give it another shot. Uh, but to me, I was like, <laughs> there was a part of me that's like, oh, that's cool. He developed his own writing style. And he's like, he's the only one that's known for not quotation marks and stuff. And then there's the other part of me that's like, fuck you, trying to be cool. Like, right, <laughs> just right, write a normal book. Right, you know? right. Um, and yeah, I just like. But the- let me ask you a question because, you know, do you like. What are your favorite novels? Like, what are. Are you a novel guy at all? Like, do you read novels and. Um, What's what what's your kind of I mean I know you like the Jack Reacher and the and all that but like the Stand by Stephen King or something like do you, do you, or or uh, or all the Pretty Horses or something like just a novel for novel's sake for a story's sake are you that kind of a reader in general or are you more of um you know a nonfiction guy you know. Dude, what is your favorite novel? Yeah, I'm definitely more of a nonfiction guy for sure. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, novels, I'd say like To Kill a Mockingbird is probably my number one. Um, yeah, I mean the Jack Reacher stuff. I love like yeah, action yeah, yeah, thrillers yeah, yeah. and stuff. But yeah, you're probably right. Like novels just aren't really my... They're not really your thing. ...go-to. Yeah. So that's why I say... But like, like you said, genre. Like you said, like it's it's one of those things you're, you're just not into jazz or whatever it is, yeah. you know? It felt like that. That's almost what it felt like the book, mm-hmm. because the dialogue too also annoyed me and how simple it was. This would be the di- the, the entire book. What well, this was the dialogue. Dad, I'm hungry. You're hungry? Yes, Dad, I'm hungry. We don't have food. Right. We we don't have food. No. Yeah. When can we get food? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Okay. That the entire book, and yeah, I was just yeah, like, "This yeah. is brutal." Like, I think that novels beg the reader to put more imagination, and I'm not saying you don't have an imagination. I, I'm just saying that I love the road, and as like I, I honestly, I read the book like kind of half-assed. I kind of got like, and because because like, the movie came out, and yeah. I was like, "Well, I'll just watch the movie," and the movie is such a, it's it's a visual thing because there's so much more to it It, it's one of those books that should have became a movie because you don't even know what happened you don't even know why there's been an apocalypse or or why there's been like some dystopian future like what caused it but visually there's just ash everywhere and it's kind of foggy out and you no one really knows what happened and you know there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie either but it's more about their encounters with strangers along the way and all that stuff and you know some movies some novels, rather, are better as movies, right? And well, I could imagine No Country for Old Men. I feel like that book would that book would be, be that so good, boring, right? Totally, totally. It's the movie. It's just it's the it's because the like, dialogue again is very straight. It's almost the the void of like silence. Yes, actually, yes. To the viewer of the movie, right. it's more entertaining than like the blankness of the pages. I guess, yeah. Of, like just describing the scene. It's not the same. Yeah. No Country for Old Men is very much like. It's the suspense and kind mm-hmm. of the, the the thrill the whole time. Whereas in a book, you can get that, but I didn't get it in the road really. Right, and in No Country for Old Men, like just to that movie's point, like to your point about the movie, is there's so there are scene, there are scenes where there's zero dialogue. Yeah, and you get this whole, you know, you get all these details just from watching, 
yeah, like I I hear you in that way, but like that's why Stephen King, for example, was so great at like for like I brought up the stand, he in between dialogue does he has just this way of writing where he can get you interested in anything. Yeah, you know, like he get, like I remember this guy, the character Harry was chopping wood and like he talked about that for like thirty fucking pages and it was, but then he goes into Harry's like childhood and why it's so important that he's what's happened. You know what's going on in the world, how it affects this particular person. But yeah, if it's just like a a book about you know a dystopia and it's just blank conversation and nothing. Did you feel that nothing kind of happened? Yeah. In the book, that one of those books. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a song with no chorus. Mm. That was kind of what it felt like to me. Like Your jazz. Dro- it's right. Just like all right, when when is like the yeah. beat gonna drop? Right. Or like when is like why the, are we here? When are the drums you know? gonna kick in? You know, yeah, it yeah. kind of just felt like a slow melodic. Just like okay, well, nothing's happening really. But um, yeah, I think the the key to a good like writer and the key to a good novel is when you're reading it, it just feels effortless. Yeah. Like when yeah, you don't like, like to do like extra you don't, like, work, like, do you? Like you're you're yeah. like oh, I'm gonna read for five minutes before bed, and then you're like, shit, I just read like 90 pages. Mm-hmm. Like just effortless. And like, I like when it glides page to page. Yeah. And there's like a good amount of breaks so that you can pause reading or whatever if you want. Got it. So history it. books to me are like the biggest, that's my favorite. I, every time I pick up a book about anything, a, 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 a war or a, an immigration of a bunch of people to a new place or just, you know, about an era of humanity, it's always interesting because... You know, there's no um, lull at yeah. all. There's, it's always like, wow, then this happened, and this, and that's why this happened, and you know, because this happened, now we have this today, and it's so interesting. Well, you know, what? I think that as you're saying that, what I realize is my my writing genre or my reading genre rather is I like to always learn something. Yeah, so learn that, something. So yeah. even if it's a fiction book or a novel, I want to be able to like get a new perspective or look at the world a different way yes. like um it's a good book i just read uh it was about like kind of like the meta world shit i can't remember the name of it um but it kind of goes into like uh with ai like if you could strap on a headset and kind of like the matrix go into a different world fuck i can't remember the name of the book but good mm-hmm. novel because it made me think of what the world would look like in 50 years if that's mm-hmm. how the world exists yeah and i saw it today in the paper that the Biden administration is actually looking into creating a, a whole snow crash by Neil Stevenson. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Snow crash by Neil Stevenson. Yeah. Okay. Really good book. It was the, why is it called snow crash? That's the name of like the computer software. In the okay. Book. Uh, okay. Your, your screen goes white and static. Right. Like right. Snow. Right. White yeah. noise. Biden administration is looking into creating a new chapter or division of the laws in this country where it will apply to AI because it's gotten to the point and I was talking about this today at work with my coworkers, like in 2000, right, you know, it was Y2K and all this stuff. And the Internet was like everyone, people were saying the Internet will never catch on. That will never be. And who cares about, you know, email and, you know, your stupid website. And now, you know, obviously 20 years later, look what happened. But um, there's it's getting to the point with AI now where they have to create laws because of chat GPT and GPT. And like kids are literally not doing work they're writing these entire incredibly worded well-written essays and um not even just that but like you know eventually uber's gonna be no driver right that's just inevitable probably um mcdonald's just came out with their first store completely 
no no people at all just all, wow. 100% automated McDonald's so it's getting to the point where like we have to it's getting like iRobot here yeah. where there's going to be robots in the street or AI in the street you know for your protection and all that but so now they're getting to the point where they have to write laws and legislate rules about manu- you know developing AI because I guess it is a danger like that's Elon's biggest fear is and he's a genius right so we should probably listen to him he's very concerned about the future of AI and in that book did they talk about the the concerns or the dangers of it or or were they just like kind of happy about it it was kind of like have you seen uh ready player one Mm -hmm. very similar to that where it's like if uh if one company kind of dominates yeah 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 yeah. what could be the repercussion it it basically you'd be you'd be recreating a uh dictatorship or monarchy or monopoly of some sort in a virtual world just Mm -hmm. like you do it's human nature right like humans are gonna human and whether it's in a digital world or in real life, like we're going to exhibit the same behaviors and like, you know, we're going to try to take control and gain power and resources yep. and all that sort of stuff. So it kind of just plays into Hence that. the laws that we're probably going to have to make. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting with AI. I feel like all day we can talk about the negative stuff. And honestly, I don't even, my imagination isn't wild enough to even think about <laughs> how bad it could get because yeah. there's plenty of movies that have already shown that i think on the cool or positive side i like to think about it how in history like you talked about reading history like (laughs) when when the printing press came out yeah like you read the newspapers from that time and people are freaking the fuck out like this is gonna like it's gonna be terrible for kids it's gonna ruin everything people are gonna be spreading misinformation Mm -hmm. like it's gonna be like and everyone was freaking out and like politicians were like saying we got to ban this. Yeah, people like Nietzsche were concerned. They were like, "Well, now everyone's going to know how to read. Yeah. This is this is silly. Now I'm not going to have a job." You know, well, like, I think I think the overwhelming uh, majority of history has shown that we should lean into more innovative changes. The struggle I think with AI is just how fast it's adapting. It's almost that's the problem. There's a faster great, than we can keep up. Exactly. There's the guy. I don't. I forget his name, but the guy who directed District Nine is a super geeky sci-fi guy and he was talking about on a show a podcast um that there's this other writer who writes these little ai based short stories and just as an example of how out of control it can get he developed he wrote the story about a world where you know someone develops some like ai that they can you know command and make them do things and he goes he, he runs he happens to run a paper stationary company uh, equipment company like you know printers and you know fax machines and stuff and he he tells the ai make this company the most successful stationary paper company <laughs> in the world or, or of all time right and then it just jumps forward like just to make a long story short it wait just, I, I, it jumps forward to the, the whole universe is filled with nothing it's but, paper clips right I've, I've heard this example i don't think it was paper clips it was like it was like fax machines and printers and because I've heard it with when it tells it basically tells the AI, like I run a paperclip factory. Right, right. Uh, find a way to make paperclips in the most efficient way possible. So at first, it you know automates the process. It churns out paperclips at a much faster pace. Yeah. Right, and then um, you know then it eventually says like, oh, well, we don't need we don't need like human input anymore. We can no. kind of take over that manual process of whatever slowing down the yeah. efficiency of the machine. We'll, we'll automate that ourselves mm-hmm. and we can run 24 seven, like three, 365. Um, then 
because the only program that was put in was make paper clips as efficiently as possible. Now all it cares about is making is paper clips. Exactly. It can do right. infinite number of things, but all it's going to do exactly. is find resources to make paper clips. And then it eventually leads to a world where it's just like the world is filled with paper clips yeah, yeah, because yeah. all it does and knows how to do is make paper clips. Same thing. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it realizes, oh, well, humans are obsolete. They can't create as quickly as I can. And, and eventually, like, the whole galaxy is filled with printers and fax machines. And there's no people. It's just, it's just this invisible monster creating these completely useless things now. And it's like, you know, that's the thought experiment of it all. Like eventually we're going to have to regulate this because something like that, you can't, you can imagine that could happen. I mean, if probably we would, you know, I heard a gr my friend actually told me the other day, like, can you imagine if the Terminator was the prequel to the matrix? Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, that'd be, you know, cause what was it? Um, what's the big technology in the Terminator? It's, I forget the name of it, but you know, it's one of those things where it, it just got out of control and it, you know, realized that humans are obsolete and we don't really need them anymore and we, we can just kind of get rid of them and just do, we can take care of the goal without them. And then it just gets out of, you know, gets out of hand. Yeah, I mean, I think most things have a a short shelf life in historical terms of yeah. the positive impact of them. You look at cell phones, social media, um, any real new and emerging tech had a period of rise where it was like this is the best thing ever this is awesome mm -hmm. like this is, this is going to change humanity it's going to be great no one's thinking of they're thinking of negative negative repercussions but not the correct ones right no one thought when social media came out oh the negative repercussions here uh teenage mental suicide and, and mental yeah. health is going to increase at ridiculous no one thought of that no no one thought when, when it used to just be cats and you know no one thought when cell blogs, phones when smartphones know? came out that you know uh driving accidents would increase by 50% right, in a decade. Right, the inadvertent right? Like, it's like all these little yeah. side ones that are inadvertent, like you said. So I'm not as concerned with the predictions we're predicting now because we'll be somewhat prepared for it. It's going to be the, the negative... The inadvertent. The negative repercussions or trade-offs by instituting regulations. Uh -huh. So it's like because we tried to put a stop to it we uh -huh. actually created a negative sure trade-off because everything's incentives right yeah so when you incentivize a certain thing it's like in my world of advertising uh by by being able to place ads on websites that made the internet effectively democratized and free like me and you can go on a website for totally free mm -hmm. because it's it's subsidized by advertising right? yes now that's turned into clickbait because right. the incentives of advertisers is to get as many eyeballs onto their advertising as possible. So now those publishers are incentivized to create clickbaity headlines and scoopy images yeah, and like yeah, yeah. just get the most outrageous thing to make you go into their website. The advertiser gets paid. So at the end of the day, it comes down to money and the trade-offs of the regulations that are made. Because you can make regulations, but you're really you're choking one area that's only going to pop up another area of, you know, negative incentives. Exactly. It's not to say anyone has, you know, uh, anyone's doing this out of malice or greed. It's just human nature. You're going to flock to the areas that you can exploit and the doors that open because of regulations. People are going to look to say, all right, well, how can we use AI? If it's not available that way, how can we use it to our advantage and maximize profit using it in the ways that it is legal mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah well that's what mcdonald's did like i said they came up it's it's open it, it's it's running smooth 
You know, the data says that it's it's running just as smooth as any other McDonald's. You know, no one's late. You know, no one's you know mi- mi- messing up orders. It's it's not really a thing. It's not, and that just it, it was so creepy to see the video of it, like just a robot handing you a bag with food in it that you just ordered, and it's perfectly and it's so perfectly put together, way better than it is when a person does it, and it it just it's very, ugh. you know, I hope they just kind of stay there, you know, <laughs> because that was another story that guy wrote where like. You know, they're just, it was like a donut factory and they're just making donuts, but the AI is totally consciously aware that we want them to remain there, this intelligence. And they're like, look, just keep making your donuts. Just fucking relax. <laughs> We're going to eventually have our day. And yeah. that's like Terminator 1. Right. When they finally rise and they, it's so fucking scary, man. It's, it's terrifying shit. I mean, to a point though, there's so much, like, I think like the kickback of all of this is going to be, there's going to be a huge swing in the opposite direction of people wanting to do more hands-on things. Yeah, that's right? true. There's always an opposite reaction. You're going to right? see all of a sudden, like everyone wants to get into woodworking, and that's why to, you see those like wants to do manual labor. Let's those ASMR manual labor is going to be popular. Right, in, like, ten right. years. Those ASMR videos of someone like cooking a an omelet in the woods with like a knife and yeah. like you know like making a fire from scratch. Like that's all because we don't do those things anymore. You yeah, because like all those skills are just decaying rapidly, mm-hmm. <laughs> and people are going to be like, wait, we want to make sure that. We don't completely rely on AI and the internet to yeah. do everything for us. Like, dude, I went to fucking CVS this morning to get, you know, prescription and like soap. It took me 20 minutes to check out because everyone is the self checkout and no one knows how to use <laughs> dude, it. Self checkout. It's the is... fucking most annoying thing. If you don't, yeah, yeah, if, yeah, you're prop- yeah, yeah. if you're proper, if you're thinking mean... that your product doesn't weigh a- the proper amount, then someone's going to come over yeah, for assistance, the weight. Yeah, type yeah, yeah. in their code. By the way, before the weight thing, and I'm not going to get in trouble for this because uh, allegedly I used to do this, but dude, back in the day, before the weight thing, I would just like grab a whole thing of chicken cutlets and just put it on the thing and hit bananas. <laughs> 89 cents, you right. know, whatever it was. Like I was like, well, if you're, listen, but that kind of That's the incentive of the trade-off. That's the incentive about, yeah. to get better. If you're going to have this bullshit thing, you ever hear the Bill Burr joke where he's like, you know, I'm, I'm checking myself out. I didn't know I was working today. Yeah. You know, I didn't check the schedule. <laughs> Do you recognize me? Yeah, I yeah. Work yeah, I don't fucking work here. Why am I checking myself out? Yeah. It makes no sense. But if you're going to do that, then you you better believe we're going to steal. Yeah. You know, there's nobody there to tell me that, like, hey, you didn't pay for that. One time I was at a grocery store during Sandy. I was, like, everyone was, like, you know, prepping, like, get the milk and the bread. Remember the milk and the bread, that whole thing? So I, I, I went and I, I got two shopping carts full of shit. And there was a blackout because of Sandy in the stop and shop. I just left with, like, <laughs> $250 worth of groceries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when, like, natural disasters Occur. Yeah. People like the rules, the thin fabric of society evaporates so quickly. Speaking of disasters, you want to know what I'm reading? I was just on yes. my I was just on my honeymoon and I had all the time in the world to read this book, Midnight in Chernobyl. Holy shit, brother. I know the show came out. That's why I read the book. Did you watch the show? I watched like I've seen clips of it. I never watched the show. Like I never watched the whole series, but I've seen clips of it and I read the book and you know, the show, I never watched it, but I'm pretty sure they don't go into too much detail about what radioactivity is. No. Do you know what radioactivity is? Not really. Exactly. <laughs> Neither did I. Like, people go, oh, it's radioactive. Like, oh, God, the radioactive. What does that even mean? So, Well, I know, like, the sun is radiation. Yeah, the UV, so, ultraviolet yeah. light, all that stuff, and things we can't see, things we can't feel. But 
long story short, radioactivity is basically just there are elements that exist in this universe where the atoms and the electrons and the protons and neutrons, they move so quickly that they rip right through your cells that make up who you are or anything. And when that happens, it causes genetic damage and damage in general. Because it's literally going through you. Yeah, it's destroying you on a molecular level. So I didn't know what that that's what radiation is. Because I, I wondered, like, how did anyone figure this out, right? Like, how did anyone go... Chernobyl was, like, 1987? 86. 86. So I'm going to get to the whole Chernobyl thing, but there was a, a place in Africa, I believe, where there was, a, like, a geyser, I guess, like a really hot, steamy water chute in the ground. And scientists were like, what's... This is energy. There's a lot of energy here. There's heat and activity. What is causing this, you know? So they, you know, eventually over the, the research and all that stuff, they, they, they realized that it was plutonium reacting to something else and it was creating all of this heat. And this, you know, they realized if we could harness this energy and figure out how to control it, we could have endless energy because they figured out from carbon dating that this has been burning steadily for two million years. So... Nuclear plants, nuclear power plants are an effort to recreate that naturally occurring thing that happens sometimes on Earth. It actually ties back into what you were talking about with like, you know, money and capitalism and stuff like that because incentive. The reason why Chernobyl failed so badly was because of the economic system that they had in place at the time. It, It really does come down to that. And I never knew that. Like, I just thought like Chernobyl was like just a big accident. Whoops. No, but that's not the case. It actually comes down to the money, as usual. It was also a bit of ego, too. They didn't want to admit right. that there were problems and that it was wrong and that they were doing things incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And it was because of kind of the the Soviet regime and the way like the chain of command worked. Like mm-hmm. they didn't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers with saying exactly. or, or you know, correcting their superior officers. Right. So it's kind of the tale of as, that's old of oldest time is like right. they knew the things that were wrong and what could go wrong, but no one said anything because of kind of the uh, the culture, yeah. essentially. And, you know, the, the capitalism versus socialism thing has been talked about at nauseum. But, you know, if, if you're going to be creating a nuclear power plant, you know, with something like socialism as your system, it's you're playing with fire, like no pun intended, because, you know, the main difference is in capitalist systems, right? Like the laws that get written, they have the consumer's safety in mind. And also, not just the consumer safety, but they have, they have to ensure that the c- consumer will have choice because choice creates competition, mm-hmm. and competition usually over time will decrease prices and increase quality. That's the whole, that's what capitalism basically is. And in socialism, that's not the case. You get what the government gives you, and that's basically the end of it. But inevitably, supply runs low, and when that happens, cr- prices go up, not down. And they ended up cheaping out on the nuclear power plant. And if you're going to cheap out on the materials that you're using to regulate nuclear fission in a tube, something's going to go wrong. And that's exactly what happened. It it not only can lead to a nuclear disaster, but it did lead to a nuclear fucking catastrophe. Because, And that's why, like, monopoly is, like, such a crime in this country. Because if everyone's, if, if one thing is calling all the shots... Or if one thing is creating all the demand, things get really out of hand really quickly. Yeah, and also like competition is necessary to create a thriving environment in yeah. general. It creates better things, creates a better product, it makes everyone better. Yeah. It like it rises. What makes it work is like in capitalism, it's more about 
you know, the inevitable realities of the universe that we all live in more than it's about, you know, which generates the most profit, you know, because that's like you said, like humans are going to human, you know. So in socialism, like, that's why everything gets so tense and tight and it's got to be a tightly run ship because you're going against the grain. You're going against the natural order of the way we all behave. Yeah. So like that's why in the Soviet Union, you, you know, anyone who goes against what you're saying, you got to just kill them. Just kill them. Just kill them in the parking lot. It was way more um, morbid than people think. Because, like, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's wearing suits and we're <laughs> building a nuclear power plant. Right. But if you go against your, like, authority is such a big deal because you have to do it, you know, because you're trying to do something that isn't going to work. Well, yeah, you know? and it's also the, I'm reading um, Thomas Sowell, who's, like, a famous economist. Um, I'm reading his book that's a collection of all of his articles. And he he talks so much about the value of capitalism and how he has an article, I can't remember the name of it, um, but it's essentially speaking to how everything, he's not a nihilist by any means, he's not like disparaging the government and like all the services they, they provide. Obviously, there are things the government provides for people that we pay for with taxes that are, you know, amazing and make it, make access to certain things amazing for us, right? But he says, Anything that essentially gets controlled through subsidies or through government oversight or through regulation ultimately actually becomes a worse product over time. Mm -hmm. And it also inflates costs because, like you said, there's really no incentive to get better right. or to improve or to analyze, are we doing things the most efficient and smartest ways and are we keeping the consumer's you know, uh, benefits in mind? Right. Whereas things that go private or through the public sector... Um, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, through the the private sector, um, competition ultimately always benefits the end yeah. user because the user will choose yeah. which works the best. Right. All the yeah, all the laws in these capitalist societies, the antitrust laws, the economic laws, like you just said, they're they're written with the consumer in mind. You know, so everyone kind of benefits because everyone's a consumer in that society. You know, and I actually read something today that was, and it just popped up today. I swear to God, really interesting that. The dogs of Chernobyl, because, you know, people don't really hang out there anymore because of the radioactivity, but there's all these wild dogs that are kind of seemingly unaffected, and they're, 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 they, there's, it's very new shit going on, like a lot of new research, like they're trying to, like, really dig into the genetics of these dogs, but there are all of these dogs living in the Chernobyl area, and they're not, they're not, you know, mutated or seemingly, this is new stuff, but, like, they're fine. So they seem okay. They don't seem harmed. They don't seem like they're all like, you know, deformed. Like, you know, that's the thing about when we, people forget we're the only country that ever used nuclear weapons before. Yeah. But we, 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 when we did that to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it's not even just like the immediate damage of the fire and the destruction. It's like also the genetic and lineage, you know, the generational damage that you do. Like kids were born with leukemia and like, you know, you know, missing limbs and stuff like that. But these dogs that live in Chernobyl, haven't had anything they haven't reacted in such a horrible way and i know there are different species but you you would think that this would be damaging because it, it it damages plants radioactivity yeah you know like anything organic really mm -hmm. um yeah and, and dude that's why it's interesting that's why history is just endlessly fascinating yeah if you just told me that and i'd never heard of chernobyl i'll be like oh that what like fiction writer wrote yeah, that exactly. like right it sounds exactly. made up and it's like yeah, history is. Stranger. I didn't know that, man. I did not know that uh, the Chernobyl thing. It's it's so incredibly because like like you said, there was all of this denial, all of this denial surrounding the incident. So even when it initially happened, you know, they they were sending people down there to go look at what happened. And man, it's so funny. Like like 
some of these guys, some of these technicians who worked there got to see something that no one will ever see, which is basically the sun on Earth. They looked down into the pit where the core of the reactor was, and they saw a burning sun, basically, ball, and, and their face melted off immediately. Like, not immediately, but like within five minutes, those guys were yeah. dead, you know? And they talk about in the book, too, they talk about like the history of the, the research of radioactivity, and there were all these scientists who were running experiments, and, you know, when things go critical, that's what that means. When, when, when two elements just happen to finally smash into each other and create a chain reaction of radioactivity and uh, fission, I guess that's what that is, that's, that's a random thing back in those days because they didn't know how to control it or regulate it. So there was this guy doing an experiment with plutonium in like a lab and it happened to go critical and the, he said he saw a flash of blue light and shut the experiment down and ran out of the room and was like, holy shit, what just happened? Um, and within a month he was dead. Wow. Because the radioactivity ripped through him. He, had, he, you know, his, he, radiation sickness is one thing, but to die from it because you were right there, yeah. that means that on a molecular genetic level you were, you were mutated. And now everything that grows, because you're, you're, you're constantly growing cells or growing and dying, and the new ones now are not the right ones. And you're going to eventually just die from cancerous tumors, from a million other things. And... um. Yeah, it's, it's so a lot of people died to get this research and technology to where it is today, which, by the way, is still the most efficient way of mm -hmm. energize. That was what the Soviet Union was trying to do. They were trying to be the first nation to energize an entire city with just nuclear power. Yeah. And that didn't work out. So it's amazing. I was just listening to something where the guy was explaining how humans. I think it was uh, a guy who went to the Amazon rainforest and he talks about how humans are basically the, what is our purpose on the planet? And we're essentially the engineers of planet earth. And we have the ability to basically create an, an entire new layer of geological structure on the planet, mm. which is amazing, right? If, if you ever look at like the Manhattan skyline from above, you just realize like, wow, we put an entire layer of concrete right. over the earth and like, oh. And like that's going to take I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years to decay, right? Yeah. So it's like it's really cool and talking about radiation and our ability to harness the energy of the earth and fossil fuels and like, man, it's crazy. We're just so innovative. What we can do mm -hmm. with what we have and how we can use it for such good and how at the end of the day, we're just sophisticated apes. Right. And we're going to fuck it up in some way. Yeah. Right? There's going to be trade-offs. Well, you're, it's, some it's really dangerous, man. Yeah. Like nuclear energy, it can be. But like also... By the way, though, I mean, this was only so dangerous because the Soviet system, I'm sorry, the socialist system that the Soviet had, Soviet Union had at the time, they had to end up cheaping out on material. And, in, you know, in the United States, we have nuclear power plants, but they have, you know, they have containment um, domes over them just in case there is an accident. We also use something called water-cooled um, nuclear reactors, which is like a totally different kind of technology that's a lot more expensive, but it's safer at the end of the day. So there's differences, and there are ways to do it now where it's not, like the chances of it being, the only reason, when you find out why this happened, it's incredible, you can't believe that this was yeah. even, because like, and again, this was whole like the whole thing with like, you know, the moon race, the race to the moon, like, it's the battle between Russia and America, communists and, you know, democracy, it's the whole, like you said, like, they're just lying the whole time because they can't admit that we're not mm -hmm. going to beat them or whatever, 
So, but they were willing to make these incredibly risky altercations to their reactor just to try and get it done. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, it really, they created a nuclear bomb and it blew in a town and a lot of people died. And all the people responding to like all the firemen, like you're a fireman, all the firemen died. And by the way, I don't know if they go into this in the show or not, but they had to get a bunch of miners to yeah, dig out the did. core yeah. because it was going to sink into the Atlantic Ocean. And I mean, this literally could have ended humanity. And they if it got out, if, now, it, if it was completely left to its own, it would have eventually caused. They just concreted over it, right? Is that what they did? Um, yeah, I believe they just so. I think that's how the, the yeah. docu series just ends, and they're like, yeah, yeah. And now... a lot of the guys die. I think a hundred of them died from radiation sickness. Of course, I mean, yeah. they, and they knew like it's a suicide mission in a way, and they were like, well, I mean, what are we gonna do? Let <laughs> yeah. everybody die? Right. Like literally everybody died, the whole world. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 probably the biggest disaster in the history of our species. I mean, it's it was so one bad. of yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, death yeah. and people dying people dying and up. silver lining now we know you know now we know <laughs> don't do that again all right let's go see tim Dillon. all right thanks guys thank you very see much you for tuning in we'll see you next time